Welcome to Idaho SESTA's Classroom Management Behavior Series podcast. This is a place for general and special educators of all grade levels to hear about topics important to helping you develop effective classroom management practices. I'm Lisa Richardson, Behavior Coordinator in the Southeast in Region 6 and Part of 5. I am Brianna Kober. I am the Behavior Coordinator in the Magic Valley area of Idaho, so the South region, and I cover Regions 4 and some of 5. Today's podcast is one of our Educator Spotlight podcasts. We are excited to be featuring one of our Idaho educators that has not only been recognized by her director, but also from us here at SESTA for her exceptional abilities to think functionally and support students and teachers. Today we have Sabrina Bramlett with us. I am so excited to be hosting this podcast today because one fun fact about Sabrina is that she participated in our ALBI project last year. For those of you that don't know, ALBI stands for Advanced Learner Behavior Institute. This project allowed for the SESTA coordinators to work really closely with some of the individuals throughout the state. Functional thinking was a huge component of ALBI and I'm proud to say that Sabrina has become very skilled at thinking functionally. Now I'm going to stop bragging and let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about who she is, what she does, and how she got to where she is. Go ahead, Sabrina. Well, hi, and thank you for allowing me to have the time to do this. My name is Sabrina Bramlett. I've been a consulting teacher for the Lewiston School District for the last five years in the area of behavior. That's pre-K through 21 years old and special education secondary transitions consulting teacher. Before that, I was an eighth grade special education teacher for the same district for 15 years and was a paraprofessional for 10 years before that. So working on the 30th year. (laughs) I've worked with students with disabilities since I was 10 years old. That's what created my passion for this position. I grew up in Spokane and we had a school for the deaf attached to our elementary school. We did inclusion before inclusion was a thing. And it sparked my interest to become a special education teacher and work with students with disabilities. That is so awesome, Sabrina. I love hearing how childhood experiences can really impact the direction of your life. I've actually had a similar experience. I have a cousin with Down syndrome who was six months older than me. I was very close with her. She inspired me to work with individuals with disabilities or I like to say individuals with different abilities. It's really inspiring when you can see how it touched a child and how it led to now what you were saying, 30 plus years of doing it. That's just amazing. I love listening to individual paths and how they got into this wild world of behavior. So one thing I'd love to hear more about from you is if you had an aha moment, more specifically an aha moment when you learned about maybe thinking functionally or the functions of behavior or just anything that really changed your perspective on behavior. I think my biggest aha moment was looking at the intentional teaching of an appropriate replacement behavior. I had not thought of that concept. I always thought, how do we fix what the student is doing wrong rather than look at the environment and focusing more on fixing that environment instead of fixing the student. I think that's my biggest aha moment and being more intentional, identifying the function And then what skill can we replace so they're getting the same feedback? Honestly, I have a very similar aha moment. I was actually teaching 
And it was my first year teaching and I was at a SESTA training and the coordinator said, it's our ethical responsibility. If we're going to take away a behavior, we have to give an appropriate replacement behavior to meet that need because these behaviors are happening to meet a need. So when, when it was worded that way, where it's our ethical responsibility, it really increased the meaning of that replacement behavior. It's not just something we do for fun. It's our ethical responsibility to provide these students with an appropriate way to get their needs met. I'm awed at the amount of time you've been teaching. That is just wonderful. What a hero you are for all those who have come across your path. You've dedicated yourself to learning all these things. It's amazing. Well, I'm very fortunate because I do what I love and I have loved it all my life. It's always a learning moment. It's never stagnant. I would love to hear, how have you used thinking functionally throughout your career, maybe in different positions, or is it something you've acquired in more recent years? What does it look like within your position or how do you use it? How do you work with your teams to identify interventions based off function or teach them how to think functionally? I think as an instructional assistant, a special education teacher, over time, it was there informally but I don't think I ever intentionally included that in my instruction or in my teaching. But after participating in the Albi project and really looking at behavior through the lens of how function is involved, it has really helped me keep focused with meeting with my school teams and being more intentional with taking emotion out of the equation. My first job is to listen. When they invite me to the school team, their frustration level is already high. They have the mindset they've done everything. There isn't any more to do. I go in, I listen to their concerns. I identify the specific behaviors that seem to be repeated. Then I offer to help them with taking ABC data so we can identify the behaviors more specific to see what is Are there certain times of day? What is happening during that time? And then once we have that data, I'm able to help participate with the team on creating a functional behavior assessment and really looking at the cause of that behavior. The piece that we've added is now we're adding a competing behavior pathway to students who are identified as having maladaptive behaviors. I really like that component because it looks at the whole student It looks at what's going on at home, some of those setting events that are going on, what are the antecedents of the behaviors that are identified, what are the behaviors, and then how we're responding to it. It gives that pathway to create that alternative behavior so that we can look at what we need to teach. That's really helped with that communication piece and to take emotion out of the equation. I love that. When you said that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's so true. Everything you just said, so great. I would love to hear if you had a favorite example when you were working with a team and you were able to really see success as you were walking through the process and identifying a behavior that the team was hoping to address. Do you have any specific examples of a success story you experienced? When I first learned about competing behavior pathway, I was really excited about coming back and applying that with a student. There was a student I had in mind, a third grade student at one of our elementary schools who had a lot of refusal and noncompliance behaviors going on. The school would call me once a week 
nothing we're doing is working. I want the student to be in more restrictive placement. A private school that we contract with here in Lewiston is the most restrictive placement that a student can be in. So they were done. When I came in, I brought in some information for them on ABC data. They were able to collect that data for a few weeks, for three weeks. We did complete a competing behavior pathway with the student. It was interesting because the school team really did not think this would work. When we came for a replacement behavior to teach, we determined as a team to teach him how to request a break. His function of the behavior that came from the functional behavior assessment was escape during transitions or any independent work tasks. So we were giving him an out. It was interesting because his general education teacher had stated this will never work. He'll use it to his advantage. He'll never do any work. He did initially test everybody to see if they were being honest that he would get a break if he requested one. But as he realized that people were going to let him take a break when he requested one, those requests reduced. He's done a great job. And I'm not saying that everything is smooth, but they are now using those concepts that they learned with him with other students and applying those same strategies. It is so nice to hear when a team can take something they learned from a hard situation and apply it to help more students. That's always our goal, right, is to just have an impact on student success. That's great to hear. Sometimes in our world, our wild world of behavior, as I like to call it, we have people who are maybe a little hesitant or skeptical to buy in to some of these things that we practice. When you're talking to some of these people who are a little more hesitant or skeptical, what are some of the benefits or advantages that you have personally experienced since learning about the competing behavior pathway or even just functions of behavior that you would let them know as to why you believe it and why you know it works? For example, the story you just shared with us, how did you get buy-in? At first, I think I didn't have buy-in. At (laughs) first, I believe they had the thought of proving me wrong, (laughs) that it wasn't going to work. They humored me by taking the data. (laughs) I think where the buy-in came in, even starting with the ABC data, was that it really identified times that the behavior was coming because the school team was so frustrated. It was presented as this child has these behaviors all day long, all the time. (laughs) When they started taking the data, they were noticing that this child was having the behaviors during transitions and right before last recess. I think the buy-in occurred when they saw when the behaviors were actually occurring. And then they started brainstorming of, well, why during that time? Well, what was going on? So they were starting to ask those questions, digging in further into the why, rather than just focusing on the student's behavior. It's encouraging is it just gives more information so that you can have more in-depth conversations and again, reducing those emotions with those conversations. 
that's one of my favorite things that I bring to teams when I'm introducing some of this new information. I come in with these new tools and I say the goal of these tools is, like you said, to decrease the emotional attachment to this behavior, but also to decrease the complexity. We have this big, bad behavior built up in our brain and it just kind of decreases the complexity and helps us be solution oriented. It leads the conversations to, okay, we know what we're dealing with now. What are we going to do about it? Instead of just staying wrapped up in some of the overwhelming parts of this, because they are overwhelming. Challenging behavior is hard. We all know this. But these tools create a solution-oriented outlet for teams to be able to say, okay, what are we going to do about it? And that's one of my personal favorites or advantages of using these tools. And I think it's a personal advantage, too, because I've become a grandma now of an almost two-year-old. So I have to do that with her, too. Oh, absolutely. There's no age limit on these tools. I have a two-year-old as well. Oh, I guess he just turned three. I have a three-year-old now. And every day I'm thinking to myself, okay, what is the function of this behavior right now? Because I'm about to lose my mind. So true. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Sabrina. You had such helpful tips and information to share with educators throughout the state. We really appreciate it. Thank you. We want to thank you all for joining us today as we featured another one of Idaho's amazing educators. We hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. We look forward to featuring many more fabulous educators as we continue on in our classroom management behavior series this year. Links to all of the part one and part two resources can be found below in the show notes, as well as links to our Spotlight Educators go-to resources. You can find this in future podcasts, as well as other great resources on topics relevant to classroom management on the Out of the Box series webpage located on the Idaho Training Clearinghouse at idahotc.com backslash behavior. Thank you for listening. Idaho SESTA is funded by the Special Education Department of the Idaho State Department of Education. We'd like to thank Idaho Training Clearinghouse for helping to bring this podcast to you. The ITC has been making special education training opportunities and resources available to school professionals and parents for many years. Whether you're looking for behavioral strategies, how to write high quality IEPs, support for paraprofessionals, assistive technology, collaborating with general education teachers, and so much more, the ITC is a great first stop. Topics are covered with modules, webinars, and downloadable resources right from your desktop or handheld device. Visit idahotc.com and begin your search with our behavior topics page to see what's already there. Oh, and the best part, it's free.